Welcome everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today. So we bring you the best of today's world influencers and their messages and discover how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. All right, in this episode, are your current circumstances a result of your personal choices? That show title is a volatile question that will ultimately shape so much of your life trajectory. All of us have made good and bad decisions that have resulted in making our circumstances better or worse. Hopefully we take responsibility for those decisions we know that we did make. Then there are the circumstances in our lives we did not choose and cannot control. They happen to us. I mean, a hard childhood, abuse, car wrecks, toxic people, job loss, handicap, so much more. They were not necessarily our fault, and we are not always to blame for those things. But how do we let those issues affect the rest of our lives? That's the decision we all do get to make. So for this episode, I posted this question to the Ziegler audience. Do you honestly believe that your current circumstances are a result of your personal choices? What followed was, uh, at this point, well over 50 of possibly the most lengthy comments we've ever had and some healthy debate. You may receive, honestly, more freedom and empowerment, I think, from this show and topic than anything else we've covered. Tom Ziegler joined me, and we spent a good while going through the comments and talking about this issue. And hey, folks, I invite you, you can join these weekly Q&A sessions. I want to hear your personal perspective. You can just find me on Facebook, my personal page at Agent K, as in Kevin Miller, Agent K Miller. All right, we're going to dive into this gigantic issue right after I share some quality products and services with you. Well, Tom, just as we've been talking leading up to to recording here. I mean, this is a serious issue and a serious topic and an excerpt from one of the comments below by my friend, Dan Brandenburg. He said, you know, this is a very deep question. It goes straight to the heart of thousands of years of religious and philosophical discourse. And I initially I agreed or I, I right off the bat, I agreed and I thought, Oh my gosh, who are we to take this one on? Uh, and I want to preface this by saying, folks, I don't know that uh, the point here is to, to come out with a definitive statement, but it's a discussion on a very, very uh, big topic. It, has a, has, it just has so much gravity in how we live our lives, one. And, and two, and we'll get into this, Tom, as we're talking, I mean, there's, I'm also aware that as a you know, six-foot white American male, uh, who came from uh, uh, never having need for anything in my in my growing up, I am at the height of privilege, and so I I do believe it is easier for me to you know stand up here and say oh it's just you know just a choice. I do not know victimization, uh, and that's going to come into this discussion. I um, you know there's there's people that have a lot of shame for bad choices. I'm not going to say I've never had that, but that's pretty debilitating sometimes in this discussion. And also, and we're going to some of the initial um, comments go right into you know what do you think you're God? Do we think we're God and we just control everything? So, what a big ball of wax. Uh, which is why I brought you here. Well, actually, I, I'm going to can I do that? I'm going to blame the circumstances on you. We're here because you and your <laughs> title of your book choose the win. 
So you started it. Absolutely. I take full responsibility. Okay. All right. Well, it's your, it's, we can all start off with it's, it's Tom's fault. Uh, well, hey, man, you ready? We'll just dive in because uh, I think yeah. anything we would say is going to be brought out by these incredibly deep comments. And, and there are folks, this is probably one of the more com- most comments we've gotten or it's at the, the top end of it. So Victoria Warner, she says, absolutely. I mean, there are lots of things that come into play. God, circumstances, God, other people's choices, God. Uh, but really the choices you make determine your destiny. You can't choose your childhood, but you can choose what you do with your experiences. I've been semi-fascinated with this philosophy uh, that you brought up with, and she has it in quotes, everything is your fault. I kind of agree with that, always have, but I haven't really studied it enough to say, to, to agree to, or to know 100%. Uh, well, Tom, I don't know if you know that, I should have, should have mentioned it before we started here. She's referencing everything is your fault. So folks, if you type into your search engine, Tom Bilyeu, B-I-L-Y-E-U. He is one of the founders of Quest Nutrition, the energy bars you see in the grocery store, billion-dollar company. And now he has a podcast, mainly a video show called um, Impact Theory. I've interviewed him. It was a long time ago. You and I probably did it together, Tom. I don't remember. Uh, We might have done the interview together. I know I like the Quest bar. <laughs> well, there you go. That's that's <laughs> from him. Uh, but he has, if you type in Tom Bill, you everything is your fault. I think it was actually somebody else's show, and he does this minute or minute and a half expert ex- excerpt from this guy says, "Look, if there is one bit of information you could leave everybody with, what is it?" And he says, takes a big deep breath. <sighs> everything is your fault, and he does this little minute and a half soapbox. That's pretty controversial, but it's basically saying if it's not, if you don't take, and he says he knows fault is a controversial word. It's a volatile word. And he says, I use it for that reason to get your attention. But he's basically saying everything is your responsibility and you do have control, yada, yada. Because if you don't, if you take a victim, if you don't, you are giving your power away. And he's mainly saying there's just no light at the end of the rainbow uh, in that scenario. So Tom, there, there's the, there's your preface on, uh, what she's referencing there saying, and I think she's kind of saying, I'm, I'm fascinated by that, but it's, it's hard to grasp onto. You know, uh, I just read a, or listened to a book called extreme ownership by Jocko Willink. Oh yeah, sure. Same thing. Uh, his view on leadership is, Hey, I'm responsible. Uh, something happens 10 levels down. It's my fault. I'm the leader. Um, and I kind of I kind of like that view because to me, there's hope in that view. Mm-hmm. If it's not my fault, then there's nothing I can do. If it is my fault, then wait a second, what did I do to get here? And for me, the big question is, we can't control what happens to us. We can control how we react or respond to what happens to us. I was raised on that. Yeah. Right. And so when I talk about and this has been a theme of my uh, public speaking lately is this whole concept of leading with um, the highest standard and the deepest grace. And I think we've got to go out there with unbelievable grace to people who've come out of just horrific situations. Yeah. Right. Because, man, they are in a jam because they've never learned right. They haven't had the privilege. They haven't had uh, a mentor. They haven't had an example. They've they fought all these battles. 
of course I'm not going to sit here and say, Hey, you deserve it. You know, you made the choices. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. right. right. That's not what we're talking about when we say, Hey, it's your fault or you're right where you are because of the choices you made. But what we are saying is, Hey, if you don't like where you are, congratulations, you can make a choice. Yeah. And that's where the hope comes in. So that's where the highest standards upheld. But, man, we lead with the grace part of that. Well, we're going to come back to this, what you said uh, over and over as we read through these. So let me give you another. Here's another perspective, Brandon Russell. And he says, I'll be contradictory. Uh, I'll be the contradictory one for this. If you believe in fate or many types of religions, we are exactly where we're supposed to be. Uh, regardless of our choices, actions, and even understanding of our lives, we would have ended up here anyways. In many philosophical texts and some religious beliefs, the decision has already been made long before we came to it. It's only understanding the choice that matters. But that's just one way to look at it with a little smiley sign at the end. But that is, I mean, we can get, uh, I don't know how far you want to go down this, but we can get spiritual on this one, Tom, with you know, pre-ordination and, you know, that whole thing that we say here in church so much, oh, God has a plan. God has a plan. So I'll, I'll kick us off on that topic because I think God has a plan. I believe the Bible is pretty much an if then book. And most of the, most of the statements we pull out of there, we, we, we do the, uh, here's a statement, but we don't go the if part. And so much of God can work all things for good if statement to those who are called according to his will, if I'm seeking him. And I think we miss that a lot. And so we come to this perspective that Brandon's throwing out there. Uh, yeah. People, obviously you, you witnessed that Tom, people who've taken a religious standpoint and taken that to uh, divest themselves of responsibility. How far you want to go down that road? Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer that, um, that our creator God gave us free will yeah. so that we could have a, uh, relationship based on our desire to have the relationship. And that gives us choice. And so we can choose to have it or we can choose not to have it. Um, and so predest- you know, predetermination, destination, uh, the more Calvinistic views are, hey, you know what? It was already set in stone. God knows the future. He knows the choice you're going to make. Well, regardless of whether you are an atheist or, or a believer in Christianity or something else, it takes a great deal of faith uh, to get your head around this because there's faith on all sides of it, right? I mean, there's faith to say um, you, God knows the future, but he chooses not to know it. You know, that's one of the principles of free will is that, you know, it's, it's that whole concept of casting sin as far from the east to the west, Right. God knows everything, but he chooses to forget our sins and forgive. That's a big faith statement. But here's what I know in the practical sense, and that is that, you know, Fred Smith, who was dad's mentor, he used to talk about, do you have a problem or are you dealing with a fact? Hmm. And so he talked about people who, you know, maybe an injured lost a leg. And so the problem is, that it takes them 15 minutes longer to get ready in the morning. Let's face it. You, you know, something happened to you. Life happened to you. It wasn't your choice. It was a circumstance that, you know, maybe you had some input in, or maybe it was just totally beyond your control. Maybe you were born without a leg. How about that? You had no say in the matter, but the fact is you don't have a leg. 
And so you accept facts and you work on problems. So your choice is to work on the problem. Yeah. Right. And so you can say, ah, I'll never do anything because I don't have a leg. That's a choice. So you've chosen to be under the circumstance. And dad always used to say, what do people do under the circumstances anyway? <laughs> you know, it just makes it, or you can choose to be over the circumstances, which is, Hey, I'll do it anyway, or I'll do it differently, or I'll do it my way. Yeah. And the greatest leaders of all, the people who have the greatest impact seem to be the ones that have overcome the biggest trials. Yeah. And so we always have a choice in how we do that, how we respond, how we react. Uh, and to me, that's where the hope is. And that's the foundation of what we do here on the Ziegler show is we bring hope. We say, Hey, not happy with where you are today. That's okay. You can change who you are and where you are by changing what goes into your mind, because that impacts your belief, your belief impacts your thoughts, your thoughts, your actions, actions, and then your actions, your results. Yeah. That statement you made, I mean, it's going to be, we all have the ability to make a good decision and to get to a certain point, but it's going to be harder for some has been very prominent in my family in you know recent years because I've got seven biological kids. I've got two that are not. The two that are not did not come from privilege. So I have kids who come from the height of privilege. And then we have, they have, you know, sisters now who did not and realizing that and seeing that and dealing with that. My youngest, when we got her, she had been uh, pretty significantly neglected and uh, real lethargic brain and body both. Uh, she had such low muscle tone. It was considered a, a, a danger by the doctors. Uh, she couldn't even pull. It was like one of the things they wrote in. She can't even pull herself up into her seat. She was three years old. She couldn't pull herself up into her car seat. Well, we've got, as you know, Tom, we're living up here in the mountains. We've got big trucks for the most part, vans and suburbans and yada, yada. And they're hard to get up in. And that was one of the things that we had to do was to step back. And here's this little girl, maybe not day one, but as we went on and to let her climb up, to grasp and pull and climb up in the truck and climb up in her seat. And it was, it felt bad. It felt mean and it felt unfair to her. And yet that's what grew her. And, uh, she, you know, we, we have all the kids in running races and she, the first year that we did that, I mean, she couldn't run more than, you know, 50 yards at a time and she would stop. And now, uh, three and a half, four years later, yesterday, Tom, we saw her and she was a big group of girls. She did the longest run she had. It was a mile run. And uh, she was, we think we were waiting for the official results. I think she got top five out of probably wow. 40 kids. Um, and, and just to see that and to see she has it harder. And that's just a, you know, a little physical thing. She's, it's just emotional things that are even uh, a bigger deal, but you know, she can do it, but it is a lot harder. And granted, you know, we took her out of that and now she's in, you know, she's in privilege and some people never get that opportunity as well. So again, so much hard stuff that can be, uh, talked about within this, but we're trying to get to the essence of what you talked about, Tom, hope, what hope do we have? Do we have hope? Well, here, we're going to hit it in these other, in, in these comments coming up here. So Susie kid, she says, yes, nothing is completely in our control, but I believe in my life 
the decisions I have, uh, I make have an internal influence on the outcome in my life from every conversation I have, even casual to the major decisions. My current circumstances are due to the decisions I have made in my life. Have things happened beyond my control? Definitely. But my response to those things were my choice, which led me to my current circumstance in life. It's not a simple equation and not everyone has the blessing of choice all the time. And, and again, there's going to be exceptions to everything we talk about, Tom. And you mentioned that, you know, the study that your dad talked about so often where uh, they took all the world leaders and what was it? 80% of them or so had come from, you know, poverty or disability or a, or a, a, a sibling with disability. And we talk about that and say, yeah, so the most successful people, most of them had to overcome some big things. Of course, for every one of them, there was a thousand with similar circumstances who were overcome by those circumstances. Now I just made up those numbers, but that is the other reality we have to face, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there is a pretty blanket reality that golly people, man, there's, you know, you hear the term crab pot, um, right. And the crab pot is if, if one crab gets in a crab pot and it tries to get out, it can get out. If two or more crabs get in, nobody gets out because the other crabs hold them back in. They're climbing out. They pull back in. So people who are coming out of a very difficult situation, the norm is, is they're held back in. You know, not only do they believe that this is who they are and what they're destined to do and there is no hope, they don't have the education, the mentor, the support the foundation to grow. And when they start to grow, unless they can break three, they get, they get pulled back in. And so it's interesting to me, uh, the two approaches that people take to lifting others out of that. And, you know, there's the, it's, it's kind of, it doesn't make sense when you think about it. It's like, if you want to pull somebody out of it, you've almost got to make it worse for them. Hmm. Right. You've got to make them struggle and everything else and build that trust and then equip them and then watch them fall and hit their chin, you know, watch them mess up and, and get the, the, you know, the bruise. Yeah. But, but what you do is you don't congratulate them on the result. You congratulate them on the effort, the yeah. perseverance, the stick, the grit, right. The, the sticking to it, you know, the integrity, the, 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 the things that, that make the big difference. And then they get it. It's like your daughter. I mean, how awesome is it going to be when she figures out in life, this is what I really want to do. And she's going to have this confidence that says, man, it doesn't matter where you start. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't matter where you start. If you believe and then follow that through with action, that's going to get you closer to where you want to go. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this massive discussion about circumstances versus decisions. Well, next, we actually discussed a bit my oldest son who had epilepsy in his youth, including nearly 10 surgeries and who knows how many months in the hospital. His circumstances happened to him for all of his formative years, and now he has to develop an attitude of happening to his circumstances. And that's a hard road, but one he must navigate, and we all must, even those who had a harder go of it early on. So we're going to dig right back in after I share some great products and services with you. 
Well, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Tom. Uh, you talked, gosh, probably a couple shows ago, you talked about this wise man that you had <clears throat> had lunch with and you're talking about my son, Caleb, and the question that he asked about <laughs> habits. You, when do you know you're making, uh, if you're, if you're making a good habit, when do you know you're making, when do you know you're making a bad habit? Well, a few, about a week ago, kind of leading up to this, I had posted, it was a little meme uh, Stephen Covey, it says, I'm not a product of my circumstances. I'm a product of my decisions led to a back, uh, back of the house on the deck discussion with some of my family. And Caleb was there and he said, man, I'm, I know that I'm, that's a, that's a issue I grapple with in my life because as you know, Tom, he spent the first half of his life in the hospital quite a bit. Um, uh, months on end dealing with, uh, he had epilepsy actually, and, and pretty severely, and he realizes that during that time, his formative years, everything happened to him. I mean, he was a victim of that. Uh, he was in the hospital, nothing he could do, nothing. He didn't cause it, nothing he could blame for it, but here he is. And he just had to take the, the stitches and the surgeries and the rehab and the whatever over and over and over. And so now he's past that. Thank God but he's having to now realize, gosh, now that is, that's, that's my past life. But man, it's, it's such hard programming to come from that where everything happened to you. And now to come out and go, now I'm going to be proactive and direct my life when I wasn't able to for so long. Yeah. I mean, he was in the hospital when my, you know, my other kids were out making decisions already doing things and he wow. was not. Well, we had a, yeah. we have a gentleman named John Foppy who was a speaker with Ziegler, um, amazing guy. He was born without arms mm. and he tells two stories. Uh, one is we say, John, why are you so fearless? Cause he traveled the world by himself without arms. Now talk about having to overcome stuff. Yeah. Just think of going on a trip and having no arms I... and then you're going to get up the next morning traveling by yourself and you're going to speak. So now you got to get dressed without arms. Right. I mean, it's, it's a daunting when you think about yeah. it. And I said, John, how are you so fearless? And he said, Hey, when I was born, the doctors told my mom and dad to let me die. They said, he's got no arms. We don't know what our cognitive issues are going on because he's brand new. And we did a test and his intestines aren't attached. And so the surgery we would do would be very difficult. And it's a one in a million chance that it'll work. And so his parents said, uh, God sent us this boy, do the surgery. And he said, Tom, I've, I've survived a one in a million odds. <laughs> Nothing scares me. Hmm. Right. So that's like number one. So he made a choice to look at it as why wouldn't he do anything? He's yeah. not supposed to be here anyway. Everything else is bonus. Right. And then the second thing is he said, growing up, I was a pretty strong willed kid and I became a really good supervisor. And I had, I think he has seven brothers that are older than him. Anyway, he would say that his whole life was telling them what to do for him. <laughs> wow. Hey, get my toy or, you know, bring me some food or whatever. And I can't remember his age, but I think he was about eight or nine. Maybe he was a little younger than that. And his mom told the whole family, whatever John asks, tell him he's got to do it himself. Wow. And so they turned it off. And he said he went into a fit and a pity party for several days. And then he started figuring out how to, you know, how to get his shoes on, how to get his pants on, how to brush his teeth, how to do everything he should have been. You know, he knew how to do it because he was taught, but he didn't do it. 
until he had to. Yeah. And he said, those are, you know, there's other turning points, but those two things in his life where somebody loved him enough to do what was best for him and his future and not what was easy or convenient or seemed to be loving because it doesn't seem very loving to, to withhold help somebody in that situation. Yeah. Those are stark examples. Of course, you've got the same example with uh, other people we've interviewed like that. Nick Vujicic, he has no arms and no legs. What was the statement you said about him? Something to the effect of here's somebody seemingly the most vulnerable who seems to be the strongest. What is that? Did I get it right? Yeah. So to me, and I've met a lot of people, um, Nick fills up the room wherever he is. And it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, a room in an office and a conference room with 10 people, or if it's a stadium with 50,000, Yeah, he overwhelms the room with his love. But here's the thing that stands out to me. In one package, you have the most defenseless human defenseless. you can have. Right. Who's also the most fearless. I mean, literally, he's defenseless. He has no arms, so he can't cover up, and he has no legs, so he can't get away. And yet, when you see him, there is zero fear. It's like bringing on, and he does it with the love, right? I, know, I mean, it's, I know. it's just it's astounding, it's remarkable. It's it's stupidly astounding. It's uh, well, I think it's God, so we know it is. Yeah. All right. Well, here's one. Here's a, here's another perspective. Soma Hathaway, she says, I cannot take credit for all the blessings in my life. I thank God for those, but I do believe my choices, both good and bad, influence my circumstances. Other people's choices may sometimes affect our lives. While we don't often take accountability for their actions, we can take full accountability for our responses to them. But that first statement struck out because we're often thinking about, we're looking at the negatives that we don't want to take credit for. Uh, but here she's talking about the positives. She said, there's so many I can't take credit for. I thank God for those. And that's a beautiful perspective too. My gosh, because we're, because we can easily, this is one of the downsides again of this or dangers, I guess, of this discussion is we can also get into pride. Hey, I'm in control. I rule my destiny. I decide everything. And there's the slippery slope because as you talked about, even those of us, us who do recognize God and say, we, but we do have free will are we completely the masters of our destiny, the master of everything? Uh, do we can, you know, we're not God. We're not God, yet we're given free will. And there's, I don't even know if it's fair to say a balance. There's the dichotomy. There's the, the daily, Lord, give me strength and lead me. And uh, daily, but it's still daily decisions. I, I decide to call on him or not. Right. And, you know, the, the attitude of gratitude is the healthiest emotion of all. And when you're grateful, um, that allows you plus something bigger than you to make things happen. And that's an amazing thing. And so when you're grateful for the things that, you know, <laughs> the things that just seem to turn out in your favor, because we all have those, uh, it, 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 it allows a deeper level of humility. Humility also allows us to understand the the there's a gap and and uh i'll give Jarrett stevens our our pastor at our church uh saturday night pastor i'll give him credit for this but he says there's a gap between reality and expectations and yeah. that's called the frustration gap hmm. 
And so many times people get really frustrated because their expectations are so high that they're ignoring the reality of the situation. And the reality is, is, you know, Hey, it's, it's not fair. It's been tough. You know, people don't follow through people, you know, they don't do what they said they were going to do. And somebody else seems to have all this, um, these benefits that I don't have. Right. Um, so what are your expectations and what's your reality? And so the key is we've got to get our expectations and our, and our reality kind of on the same line so that our expectations can be exceeded on a regular basis. And that's where gratitude comes in. Yeah. Now, where's our reality? There's two kinds of reality. There's the reality that we have no control over, which is other people, other things, circumstances, the Mack truck that hits us, you know, from the blind side. And then there's the reality that I have control over every decision I make, every choice, you know, every word that I say, everything else. Um, and that's where I get a little more uh, concerned with people is when they say, oh, you know, well, forgive me because I didn't mean to say that I was drunk. <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. You know what I mean? We all hear it. Yeah. Or that's just the way I was raised or yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, the, the fact that you recognize it means that you have power over yeah. it. And this is a great statement. Um, and I'm, a, I'm kind of a mixed fan on Dr. Laura. Uh, but this is what she said one day that just, it was this guy called up and he said, Oh, I'm sick. I've got a disease. I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. It's an illness. And she, she said, uh, Oh really? And he said, yeah, I don't know what to do. It's uncontrollable. My urge for pornography. And she said, well, let me ask you a question. Um, do you work in an office environment? He's, and the guy said, yeah, I do. And he said, uh, so when the boss comes in, do they ever come into your office? Oh yeah. The boss comes over. So while you're talking to your boss, do you ever just like out of control, pull up a porn website on your computer while your boss is there? And the guy says, absolutely not. I don't do that. And she said, well, then you don't have a disease because if you had epilepsy, you couldn't control whether you had a seizure with your boss there or not. Yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> so, that's a stout point. And, and so I think where, where we get in trouble is, is we make a lot of excuses of why we can't do something when ultimately we got to take ownership of it. Yeah. And so I have complete grace for people who have epilepsy Man, you know, I can't imagine that. Um, that's a t- I've got a friend going through it right now. Um, on the other hand, you know, people, when they, once you start to come to awareness, the question is, are you going to do in the moment what you need to do to make the right decision? Yeah. Well, it's all so weighty, Tom. Um, and I do, I, I, I did write down as taking notes, you know, the, the gap between expectations and reality is frustration. That's a great one. I'll have to think on that. I, I've heard before expectations are premeditated. I think it's premeditated bitterness. Uh, something to that degree. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, well, here's another, this brings up another topic here. This, this comment, Tom, Adam Brown, to a large degree, I would say yes to the statement. The pitfall is not in the statement. It's, it's in not reminding yourself of this truth consistently. The gut reaction to the statement, either shame 
uh, either shame of past of the past or joy of the future is also a good point of reflection. Uh, the degree to which I disagree would be in what context it is applied during a certain time of their life. Job and Joseph, he's referencing characters in the Bible may have argued this, but both of those individuals for the most part demonstrated a mastery of choice over their reaction, which they did. The book of Job is, is a, is a study on this. But Tom, his statement up there, the gut reaction to this statement, and he has in parentheses, either shame of the past or joy of the future. I thought, you know, that's where, and I think I mentioned this at the top of the show, shame. How much of this is wrapped up in shame and guilt? If I accept that my circumstances today, and of course we're going to talk about the, the negative circumstances, are a result of my decisions I'm by proxy, it seems going to feel ashamed. Now, if we have good self-confidence, we should have, well, we're back to your statement. Uh, what was it? The highest standards and the deepest grace, deepest grace, which we've got to have for ourselves. So we have this standard. I have always had the highest standards for myself. I have not had the deepest grace. And at 48 years old, I'm still working on that. Cause if I, to the level I can't have, or I can or can't have grace for myself is what I can or can't have for others. That's convicting the tar out of me right now. Uh, but let's going back here to shame. I mean, that is a very real and true issue. How many people are devoid unless they're psychopaths of some level of shame or guilt. And when we look at our circumstances, it's a hard one. It is. It's, it's incredibly hard. Um, shame's a big one. And of course I believe that we've been, you know, as a believer forgiven, and, you know, there is no condemnation. There is no shame because it's forgiven. It's, it's the past. It's forgotten. Now, what we don't uh, get released from is the consequences of whatever choice we made. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So the, the circumstances that we're in today might be a direct result of a poor choice from the past. So the question is, is how do we optimistically look after and make good choices around the circumstances and release ourselves from the shame and let that go. Well, and this is, let's go ahead and let's hit this though, because when you say in that, that we are relieved of shame, I am, and I'm not looking for you to agree with me on this. I'm looking for your perspective. I, we hear a lot of people from a self-confidence standpoint from a, what seems to be a, a healthy stance to say, look, no regrets, no regrets, Re regrets. Don't do you any good. Never look back. No regrets. I struggle with that statement. Tom, Tom, uh, even if I deal with shame and guilt, which are, you know, those are, those are no good in any way, but do I have regrets? And I look back and go, man, there, I def, I, I feel like I definitely have regrets. No, I'm not daily, uh, whipping myself for those. I'm not going to let those regrets, uh, I don't need to let those degrade me, shame me and, and heap on guilt. But when I look back, there are things that I did that hurt myself and other people that were flat out bad choices. And I see it pretty much clear as day now. I wish I had not made those, even though they have been redeemed. And now I have strength and knowledge and understanding. And I hope wisdom from those to a degree. If I went back in time, I wouldn't do those things again. That was a bad call, Kevin. Uh, it really was. So but now I have to work to have grace for myself and try to redeem it. And I, or I'm able to redeem it. That is the beauty of, of what we get to do is to redeem that with wisdom, hopefully. 
Uh, I think it was David Meltzer uh, who had on the show who said a lesson we usually get great lessons from the things we do wrong. If we're having that lesson over and over and over and over in our lives, it's because we haven't learned it yet. Uh, but if you can learn it, then you won't hopefully repeat it. But again, when we hit shame. We talk about regrets. I think I sometimes bristle at that because I know a lot of people who like me look back and go, man, I, I'm, how can I not regret that? That was bad. Maybe regrets, regrets the bad word. And we're just talking about semantics of a definition. Do I wish I had not done that? Sure. I have some things that I wish I had not done. Thoughts? Yeah. I ask myself, what would I do differently now? Yeah. Right. And I can go back through almost any decision I've made that was a big decision. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many big decisions of your life are you're like, man, I handled that perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's a, that's a great reality learning mm -hmm. exercise is what would I've done differently? Uh, it, it is. And there's a lot of things. So I'll state that there's a lot of things I would have done. I'm grateful for the, redemp the redemption and the ability for that. But goodness. Well, here's here. I'm going to keep bringing these uh, comments out that bring up root issues. Here's one. Angus Nelson. He says, most of it to me is in what I believe, not necessarily in choice. My choices are a fruit on my belief system. As my belief system has raised, my identity has advanced, and my choices have matured. So ultimately, my beliefs have brought me this far. As for circumstances as a whole, I do believe some things happen outside of our influence, but my beliefs are now that life doesn't happen to me, but for me, teaching me lessons and giving me advantages for my future. I wanted to go back to that first, one of those first statements, belief, my choices are a fruit on my belief system as my belief system has raised, uh, or as, my, as, as it is raised, so as my identity and my choices have matured. To go back to the story, it almost reminds me of the story, Tom, you've told it, your dad told it, I think, about the two, I'll let you tell it, because you'll, you'll get the details better, the two brothers who were raised by an alcoholic father. Yeah, so I believe it's in the book Born to Win, and two brothers, I think they might have been twins. Mm -hmm. um, I think so. And one of them, um, they interviewed him, and he was in prison for 30 years for doing some pretty bad stuff. And they said, why are you in prison? And he said, well, where else would I be? My my father was an abusive alcoholic. He beat me and, and my mom and our family and, you know, never got any support. And, of course, I'm going to end up in prison. Then they interviewed his twin brother who – owned a bunch of companies and given, you know, millions of dollars to nonprofit. He was kind of a standout leader in the community. And they said, how do you explain uh, all the success you've had? And he said, well, it's all about my father. He was, he was an abusive alcoholic and he beat us. He was a horrible example. And I've spent my whole life trying to do the opposite. So same circumstance, even the same DNA. And, two dramatically different views on life. Yep. So what I like about uh, Angus, so he says, the choices are a fruit of my belief system. Yeah. Right. I love that. And so the, you know, maybe the quote I use the most now is a tree's fruitfulness depends on its rootfulness. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately what we want to do is we want to nourish the roots of our life the seven roots, mental, spiritual, physical, family, financial, personal, and career with habits 
that nourish those roots that will automatically produce the fruit we want in our life. Yeah. And the interesting thing I read uh, either this morning or yesterday in my uh, perfect start time is that the last thing to, to grow on a tree is the fruit. Think about it. I yeah. mean, you got the seed, it sprouts, it grows. As it gets bigger and bigger, it buds, and then eventually it has fruit. It's the last thing. And so what we've got to do is nourish nourish ourselves, nourish our belief, our thoughts, the input that we have, all the things that make who we are, so that the automatic output of our life is good choices. Yeah. I, that one would just, I agree, Tom. I mean, the, the beliefs... There, that story, that's why I wanted you to bring it out, is two guys, same circumstances, and they chose different beliefs. I have had some stark examples of this in my life, in my experience with, with others, but to come back and decide what are we going to believe as a result of that. Well, here, let me read one that's very relevant. Evan Herman, who uh, I was just on his podcast, and he said yes and no. To this. Did I choose a knee injury? No. Did I choose to coach soccer that led to the injury? Well, yes. Did I choose to have my wife get in a car wreck? No. Did she choose to, you know, maybe it's my fault because I let her drive my car. Did I choose to lose a second child in a miscarriage a few months ago? No. Uh, did I choose to do the actions of having a child? Yes. And he, and he just said, I'll ponder this more. I appreciate his authenticity uh, in that those are things that happened to him. Those are things that, that is, that is being a victim. And I don't think any of us cannot be a victim to uh, some certain degree. And of course, some have had horrific, unmentionable tragedies as, and, and been victims. And I can't, as I said, I can't relate to so much of that. I've not been a victim to a lot of negative, but to whatever does happen to us on the negative front, what do we choose to believe about it? And it was, gosh, it was just recently on a show that hasn't published as of, as of the date that this will publish with Neil Pasricha. And he, he and his wife had a miscarriage and really, really struggled with it. And they decided, I think he says this literally, they decided to believe that God knew more than they did. Maybe that child was not going to be okay, was going to have problems, and he saved them all uh, by the miscarriage. He says, I don't know if that's true, but I'm better off choosing to believe that than to believe that we you know, lost the baby due to whatever you made up, our sins, or because of the pharmaceutical company, or something else that he, as we referenced Tom Bilyeu, as I gave my power, gave power away from us, I'm going to choose to believe that. And that, again, to use that term, Tom, it's a slippery slope of just making things up, making stories up. But this goes back to those two brothers. That's why I love that story. They had the same reality in essence, and they chose a different story, both of which were true there. Yeah. And there's where we're stuck. They, they were both true. So we're not talking about just Pollyanna painting something to say, look, I was, you know, kidnapped, beaten and left for dead. And that was great. Well, of course it wasn't, but what can you, and this brings us back to like what you were talking about, like Nick v, uh, Vujicic with no arms and no legs. And what is a story that he, or even better, do you remember John O'Leary with his book on fire who blew himself up as a kid 
burnt 99% right. of his body. No way he should have lived. He did. And now went back and he was, I don't know. I honestly don't remember if we asked him the question or if he just said somebody had, you know, if he had to go back now, would he have changed that event? You know, expected a course. And he says, no, I am so grateful for what it has now allowed me to do and allowed me to understand. And it's really that one, that one was really hard for me to understand, uh, to, to accept, I should say, Tom. Really, I mean, that's, that's, I get it, but that's, that's going too far. He has so embraced a different story. So I, I don't know how to wrap that up, not, not, not wrap it up, but how to, uh, you know, come to a, tie that up, Tom, because we're not talking about make-believe, but we are talking about a positive and negative hope. Yeah. So here's, here's an interesting story, uh, from psychology today. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1950s, a psychologist or actually just a scientist studying rats. Have you heard of the rat drowning story? Rat drowning. I've heard lots of rat stories. I don't know about a drowning one. No, go. Yeah. So what they did, and I'm going to get these numbers wrong and I'm sure one of our listeners will go, go read it. But, uh, in the 1950s, uh, a professor at John Hopkins, university his name was kurt richter he took a bunch of domesticated rats and he basically put them in a bucket with water in it to see how long it took them to drown uh i don't you probably can't do these experiments i'm gonna say if you're part of PETA, we're not advocating this it's just a story yeah um 12 of them and um and they died they drowned in like minutes i mean it was like seven minutes ten minutes whatever because they were in the water there is no hope to get out and they die. Right. So they put the, the wild rats in there, same thing. So now they're thinking, you know, first they thought, well, maybe the domesticated rats, um, it was bred out of them. So they go catch the wild rats who are mean and tough, you know, and they're exposed to the environment. Well, they died just as quick, even though they could swim, they basically just sunk to the bottom and drowned in, in minutes. So then they did another experiment where just as the rat was drowning, they would reach in and grab it and pull it out and basically uh, massage it back to life, right? And then they put them back in the water and these rats would swim for hours. No way. And the only thing they could come up between the difference in the two was hope. That's dramatic. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think there's like a one-to-one parallel between humans and rats, but I really think that's when we get to the key issue is how do we bring hope to people who have just been overwhelmed by circumstance, the world's happened to them. And we give them that experience of, wait a second, there's a reason to keep swimming. There's a reason to make in our, to me, swimming in our human world, is making one more good right choice. Yeah. Right? That's what it is. It's like we put the we put the right arm out, we make a good choice. We put the left arm out, we make a good choice. And the more good choices we make, the quicker we get to the shore of the place we want to be. And so that's that's where the hope comes in. And so how you see your surroundings is either hopeless or wait a second. You know, it's the old story of you know, this donkey fell in a, in a well and they thought, what are we going to do? We can't get him out. So they said, just bury him. So they started throwing the dirt in. Right. And then, but the donkey just kept shaking the dirt off and stepping up. And eventually the donkey walks out of the well, you know, it's what's your choice. 
yeah, we all get thrown in the proverbial well and people pile on. What are we going to do with that? You know, there are, I'm looking back on the Facebook page here, Tom, and there are over 50, now I'm not going to say just 50, 50 comments. There are 50 uh, uh, big sharings. Uh, this is, I would say, I, I would have to look at it again. This may be the responses were so long and in depth on this that we could take a couple hours literally just reading through them and they all are worthwhile. And folks, I would, I would encourage you to do that. You can find me on Facebook at agent K Miller. It's my personal page. That's what I use for these. And it's the October 6th posting. And I wish maybe we should do this for two hours, Tom, but I mean, ultimately we, you know, I think what it sums up is obviously there are circumstances that happen to us, every single one of us that we cannot control. We cannot dictate. I think what we're hearing loud and clear here that everybody pretty much agrees though we do have the ability to make that decision to get buried by the dirt, like uh, the donkey in your well, or to step up on it and let it, let it be freeing to us. And that can sound so pithy, but what else is there? And back to what you just made me think about as you talk there, Tom, is it's either we submit to our circumstances dictate our life. We are a product that is like a, a leaf in the wind, or at least there is, or choosing to, we'll go back to what Angus said, have a belief and have hope that we can alter our circumstances. So whatever that bad circumstance is, what is the downside of having some hope, having some out, outrageous belief that we can actually have some control over it and, and, and dictate it for the better? That's where it comes into the why not take the, we had a couple of people respond to this. Heck, why not take the preposterous notion that, that we are uh, in control of pretty much anything that happened to us, whether it's the car wreck that somebody broadsided us that happened to my wife twice in a span of three years, she can't control that. But if she is now fear, if she struggled with this of being fearful of driving, I mean, why wouldn't you, I, I would struggle with that too. And wondering why me, why on earth, God, did you allow that to happen? And, uh, I mean, that's a real world issue of looking at how do I deal with that? But as opposed to having, why not have hope? That can I take those things, try to learn something from it, try to be stronger, not give it the power uh, of mine and have hope that I can alter the circumstances and I can now be better for it. Not even just withstand it, but we're talking about being better for it, which some of these stark examples that we've had uh, of people with significant tragedies have taken those and they are, are grateful, literally grateful. That, that, I mean, that's, everybody's hearing this and some people are hearing it going, that is really, really hard. Yep. It comes down to, well, I look at it, I, as you know, Kevin, I'm kind of the nerd. Um, and so when somebody says A or B, I look at, well, what are the disadvantages to A and what are the disadvantages to B? Yeah. And dad said this, a positive attitude will outperform a negative attitude every time. Yeah. Right. And when you look at the overcomer stories, it always kind of boils down to this. Can I do one more step? Can I take yeah. one more step? And the answer is yes. Yeah. You're right. And so every time you say there is something I can do, then there's hope. And uh, Uncle Bernie, he, he had this story that he said, and he said, you know, 
where there's struggle, there's life. And so if you're struggling, there's life. Yeah. And so in the struggle, there is life. And so, man, that's a, that's a hopeful thing because as long as we're struggling, we've got purpose yet to accomplish. Because we, you know, uh, Andy Andrews said one time on one of our, our webcasts that we did, this, this person called in and they, and they were, they were basically hopeless and they listed a long list of reasons of why they were in the situation they were in many of them beyond their control. And the last question was, do I have purpose in my life? And Andy said, I never will forget it. He looked right in the camera talking to this person and he said, look, if you're still breathing, that means you have purpose because you will only take your last breath after you've fulfilled your purpose. Hmm. There's belief right That's there. Right. It's a great, great place to land. Folks, I, I as always so grateful for everybody who posted and I, I really do encourage you to go check out the postings there. You can spend a good while reading through them. And we have some folks who responded to other folks with, uh, understanding and, um, just some sweet sharings again, that we could talk through so much. I hope we've done justice to get into some of the issue or the essence of this topic so that you can, as Tom's book is titled, choose to win because yeah, what is the opposite of that? Choosing to lose. None of us want to do that. Choosing to submit None of us want to do that. And we all, I think we're, I think here's, here's a statement. I think it's our responsibility to have hope. How's that? No matter what, no matter what your circumstances, it is our responsibility to believe in, embrace and to go after hope, uh, no matter what. And I, I think, I think I have fear of not doing that, Tom. Maybe that's like a fear of God. I have fear of not doing that because on the other side of hope is hopelessness. There's nowhere to go from there. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for the book and, uh, thank you for the message in it. We need to have these conversations. Thanks brother. All right. Well, friends, I know this is a big topic. Uh, Some of you may feel inspired and excited. And some of you who have dealt with this and felt big overcoming are going to feel confirmed. Though some may right now be feeling threatened, which is understandable. My encouragement is if this does cause fear or anxiety or even anger, stick with it and work through it. It's just critical. And back to Tom's quote, I think a great goal is setting the highest standards for ourselves, but having the deepest grace. And you may need to focus on that as well right now. Well, coming up in episode 725, what do you do to keep your mental edge sharp? This is the answer from Phil M. Jones, our guest in show 723. He said, in my permanent quest for better, I follow every major activity I do with what I call the four R's. My process is pretty structured. Reflect, review, refine, and reschedule. First, I reflect. Then I review. What did I like best about the event? Then I refine. Next time, what should I do different? And last, I reschedule. When will I utilize what I have learned? It's just a structure worth adopting. So strong. I also appreciate from the show... 
Uh, a primary ingredient for his mental wellness was great music appropriate to the mood he wanted to foster as this right there, man, that's a key for my personal list. He bookends his days with no devices, which is something we discuss in my new podcast, the true life show episode six. And regarding financial, Phil says he knows what a day of his time is worth, even down to a wholesale cost any activity must equate to. It's really interesting. Uh, And another one in his career spoke, he says right now his most challenging issue is he's already outperformed any expectations he had for himself. And that is surely not the norm for most folks. So just those and more interesting and inspiring habits from Phil M. Jones in this next episode, 725. Till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Mm 